All right, here we go. Welcome to the first episode of the I Run My Life podcast. Uh, the point of this podcast is going to be that people can do hard things in life. And doing hard things through running is a great way to bridge that gap mentally that, hey, I can get things done. Hey, I can get through this. And there's so many, I don't even have a great word for it, but incredible people that I've met, especially over the last three, four years that just perfectly demonstrate that day after day after day. So that'll be the idea here. Um, I'll be bringing in some wonderful people, help kind of show how getting through tough things in life is bridged together perfectly with running and how you can learn from one to the other and they seamlessly fit. The cool part, I think, about it is all of these people um, that I've reached out to already um, that really want to jump on here with me, uh, just the people I've met in general, the cool part about it is they've done these extraordinary things. Uh, some of it I can't even wrap my head around, and I've pretty well tuned into this. Um, they've done these incredible things, and they are, at the end of the day, super, super normal people, very average, just run-of-the-mill people, and yet they wake up and they do these things every day a couple times a year where you're just blown away. Like, it's the real-life Marvel superheroes. You can't believe it, but really they're just average people, which is the idea here. You don't have to be anything spectacular to do spectacular things. Um, today, obviously, I don't have anybody with me, so we're going to kind of touch base on me just to kind of give you a feel of what this will be like, and I think that I am as about average as it gets. It doesn't get any more. There's no... What I mean by that is I've met these people who it's like, you overcame what? You started where? And now you're here? And it blows my mind. Whereas I started as a kid who loved to run, who ran a little bit in middle school, ran a lot in high school, and we'll get to the rest from there. But I've just always been a normal person who liked to run, and so naturally here I am still running. Which sounds really cool, and I'm not trying to downplay anything I've done running-wise. Um, but I, but I think that pencils me in as just average, here you go, here we are, this guy runs, and he's going to keep running. Whereas there's these other stories where it's, you're going through what, and now you're here, you've battled alcoholism, couldn't, couldn't function on a day-to-day -day life, and now you're here, you used to do how much drugs, and now you're running this far, you used to be how much, as far as the number on the scale goes, and now you're cooking me in these races, like, the stories are insane out there guys so we'll get to them i'm really excited uh to bridge that gap for everybody but first start with me so we'll just kind of go from the beginning uh and we'll go quick otherwise it'll be too long of a story to current day running uh, and then we'll touch on some of my favorite things i've learned throughout the journey but uh as i mentioned a little bit ago as a little guy I just like to run. I don't know if it was the extra energy I've always had or uh, too much anxiety even as a little kid, but I just like to run. Uh, two biggest memories I have running as a little guy. Uh, we have my grandma had a cabin up in Mayo, uh, 80 acres right next door to my aunt's 80 acres. And there was a trail that they had connecting their two places that was maybe, I don't know, let's call it 300 yards long. And near the end of the day, when we were done working and playing in the woods and stuff, I'd ask my mom if I could. There was a stump at the start of my aunt's driveway. I asked my mom if I could run to the stump. 
Yeah, Tyler, you can run to the stump. I'd go to the stump. I'd come back. Mom, can I do it again? Yeah, go to the stump, Tyler. And I would just do it and do it and do it. Um, up and down. It's all sand trails. It was just fun. Similar, my grandma lived on a dead-end road in Kakalan. So not always, but when we uh, kind of turned onto her road, I asked my mom if she could stop the car. It was about a half mile from uh, the corner to my grandma's house. So my mom, yep, she'd stop the car. I'd jump out, and off I'd go. I'd run the last half mile to my grandma's house. It was just fun. felt like forever, right? Some days it was like, what did I get myself into? Um, and then every now and then we'd be going over there with cousins or things like that, and they'd hop out, and they'd run with me too, and it was just fun. Uh, I remember my fifth grade track meet. I don't remember much about it, but obviously I ran in that. And then middle school, you couldn't run as a sixth grader, but you could as a seventh grader, you could run track. So I ran track, and my coach had me running the 800, um, just two laps around the track, and I was getting cooked, just cooked. I wasn't great. And every day for practice, he'd send us on our workout, but he would send the distance kids out for a subway loop is what it was called. Start at Western High School, and you'd run out basically to subway around and back. And finally, one day, I asked him if I could join him on the subway loop. And he was an awesome guy. He was an awesome coach. Um, but he, he put, put his hand on me, and in his nice laughing voice, he said, Do Russell, you're just not going to be a distance runner. I said, okay, sounds about right. So I didn't do it. And then had a miserable track season, didn't have any fun doing it, got cooked up every race, and didn't do it my eighth grade year. Um, he tried hounding me down to run in eighth grade. And I don't remember what excuse I told him why I couldn't do it. He knew it was an excuse, but didn't do it. Well, what also happens in eighth grade is Western's cross-country coach, Coach Nesbitt, um, who probably the biggest influence in my running life, just an awesome guy, awesome coach. Um, he goes around to all the eighth grade. I don't know if he still does that. I'm guessing he does. Goes around to all the eighth grade history classes and kind of gives his pitch on why you should run cross country, um, which obviously I'm geeking out over. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. But at the same time, I'm in eighth grade, getting ready to go into high school. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be running cross country. I don't think anyone cool runs cross country. Um, so I left class. And then a few hours later, I bumped into my best friend, and he had the sheet in his hand from Coach Nesbitt. And he said, hey, I think I'm going to do cross country. And then asked me somehow about how I was going to do it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'll do cross country. So luckily, luckily for him, luckily for me, I had him and ran cross country. And that takes me through the next four years, ran cross country, had a great time, ran track, ran winter track, stopped playing basketball after freshman year, just ran all the time. And I really loved it until I graduated, um, decided not to run collegiately. And that's when I found out real quick that I don't know if maybe I loved running as much as I loved camaraderie I had with running all the nights staying up late with all the teammates dinners after races dinners before races like I just loved that feeling being with everyone like going out for a run didn't feel like we were going to run eight miles it felt like we were hanging out with buddies for an hour um and I missed that so I didn't run after high school I mean I'd run a couple times a month maybe uh which kind of set me back not the not running but the mindset of it so I kept doing like random 5ks here and there which I'm still in at that point, relatively awesome shape compared to normal people. So I'd go to these 5Ks having not trained, and I'd finish in first or I'd finish in second, not with an extraordinary time or anything, but I'm good enough 
that I was like, well, look at that. I don't need to run and I can still get things done. I don't, I don't need to train. So I kept not training, kept getting worse. I eventually did a half marathon, trained a bit for that, and I did pretty well. So again, I'm like, well, I don't really need to train. I just did a half marathon without training. Look at me go. I can continue to not run in life. So I kept not running, kept not running. And then around 2014, I worked for runners at the time, and I just was meeting all these other runners and all these people who actually have a life of running. Um, they all kept doing marathons, and I'm like, fine, I'll do a marathon. No problem. Well, it was a problem. I continued to not train. I mean, I did a little bit, right? I respected it a little bit, but not much. And about six weeks out from the marathon, I had downloaded a Hal Higdon training program offline and was very loosely following that. And about six weeks out, maybe five weeks out, it was the first of, I think, two 20-milers. So I'm like, okay, I better see if I can do this 20-miler. Oh, I crushed that 20-miler. I went out there scared. I went real conservative and then kind of kept picking it up as the run went on. And my last three miles of that run, I'm pretty sure was like 710 mile, 703 mile, 642 mile or something like that. Just absolutely knocked it out of the park. So I didn't run for five more weeks. I'm like, see, I got it. I don't need to do this. And my goal for that race, it was up at Bayshore in Traverse City, um, was to go, which is a fun race, a big race. It's a great marathon if you're going to do one. Uh, my goal was to run the marathon, 26.2 miles in under three hours. My half marathon that I had run earlier that fall, I had done in, I believe, an hour 25. So I thought, easy peasy. I don't remember what pace you have to go to do that exactly, but I found a group that was running right around 6.55 minute mile paces, which is kind of right there. And I just kind of ran with them for the first five miles. Then I had to pee really, really bad. And I remember hearing someone before the race talking to one of their buddies who was doing their first one too. And they had said like, hey man, you got to pee, just pee. Just stop, pee, and then get running again. Otherwise, it's just going to bug you mentally and you're going to feel it the whole time. It's not going to be fun. Just pee. So I pulled over, walked down the shoulder of the road to the lake, took a nice pee with a view, climbed back up on the road, and I see my group still up there. So I thought, okay, easy enough. I'm going to go run with them again. So I went really fast, and instead of running 655, 650, whatever we were running, I remember dropping like a 603, 605 mile to catch back up to them, and I settled back down. Boy, did that bite me in the butt. Um, I went through the half marathon, I think at 127, and I ended up, long story short, finishing that marathon in 347, 342, three hours, 42 minutes. Um, the last... Last mile, I think, took me over 15 minutes. I basically just started cramping up really bad. I didn't know what I was doing nutritionally, so I wasn't drinking near enough. I wasn't eating enough. Um, and I, that little way too fast mile bit me in the butt. So my cramps were to the point, the last probably three miles, where when I would cramp up, I'd just kind of lock up so I didn't fall over. And then it would take me a good minute, minute and a half to, to walk again. Like I, I was telling my legs to move, and they just weren't moving. Um, Oh, I was crying. That hurt. That just really hurt. Um, so that was a massive, massive blow to my confidence, um, which was great. I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but boy, did I need it after two and a half, three years of thinking I didn't need to run and could just 
still relatively be competitive in recreation running, um, which is big for me. I'm really, really competitive person. And that was another struggle I had once I decided not to pursue collegiate running is I don't know where to channel any of this competitiveness anymore. Um, but now I had a, a reason to run and a reason to be competitive again. So from 2014 to 2017, I really didn't do much running, if at all, racing-wise. But I, I ran a little bit more. Just got outside and ran a little bit more. 2017, I did a half marathon where I, for the first time since high school, like really trained. I had a big PR. I think I went one hour, 21 minutes for that. So that was like a almost five-minute drop for me, which was awesome. Um, and then after that, I had started to think about running really far. Not seriously. But when I first heard about ultra running, back when I worked at Runners, one of my coworkers, Sean, who's just an awesome guy, we were sitting around talking one day and he casually mentioned the North Country 50 miler. And I'd never heard of such a thing before. I, I literally thought runs just stopped at 26.2 miles of full marathon. You didn't go any further. Like, I didn't think, like, it, it'd be like if you told me yesterday that you have a baseball game, but you're playing it up at 30,000 feet. Like, what do you mean? No one plays baseball up in the clouds. What are you talking about? That's honestly what it felt like hearing 50-mile run. He's like, yeah, I do it once a year, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense that it's a once-a-year thing. People don't actually do this. Well, turns out right in Midland, but mid-Michigan in general, we've got a pretty, at the time even already, had a pretty big ultra community. Um, so fast forward back to 2017, I started thinking about that. Man, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool to run 50 miles? That would be... Every kind of six months, I would tell myself, I'm going to do that. I never would. Six months later, I'm going to do that. I never would. Um, then the pandemic happened. That's what it was. 2020 happened, and my time spent at work got cut in half. So I had so much free time. I remember that spring being so nice. It was just beautiful out that spring. And I decided, okay, we're doing it. I'm going to run a 50-miler. Jumped online, found a program, because I obviously had no clue how to train for this. And I texted one of my buddies. Every year for the 4th of July, we go up to his parents' cottage on Wixom Lake, and we just, we're degenerates, right? We have a great time, and we just get silly for a weekend. So I texted him, I said, hey, you lived in Grand Rapids at the time. Hey, I know you're coming into town Friday night to head up to Wixom. Would you mind coming in Thursday night? I've got an idea. I need your help with it. What's the idea? All right, well, I want to start. We can start from wherever. We ended up picking his parents' house in Auburn. And I'm going to make a 50-mile route, and we're going to end at the cottage in Wixom. I'm going to need you to bike by me, pull one of the, like, kitty carriages behind the bike with drinks, snacks, that sort of thing, a cooler. He said, okay. Perfect. Here we go. Now I really have to train because this guy's taking off work for me. And I trained and got to the race, race, if you will, made his t-shirts, so it counts. Um, and it went well. It got really hot that day. We were going to leave at 2 a.m. on Friday. No, yeah, 2 a.m. Friday morning, but we bumped it to 1 a.m. just because it was going to get up to like 95 that day. And so we left at 1. I think I finally fell asleep at like 11 just from excitement, right? I'm like, anytime I have anything going on, a trip, a race, anything, I'm a kid. I can't sleep. So I fell asleep at 11, get up at 1, 
and we just slow and steadied it. It got hot, it got miserable, but that's the first time where running kind of really, really taught me uh, some stuff. My mom was going through um, her first, yeah, her first round of chemo at the time, and Penny was in her cast at the time um, from her first surgery. So I remember mile 37, stopping on Cody Esty Road. It was just hot, just hot. We had towels in the cooler so we could put the ice water on us and stuff. And I was just laying on the side of the road. And I only had 13 miles to go, a half marathon to go. So I was trying to tell myself that, like, just think of it as a 13-mile run. You can do a 13-mile run. But it was hot. And I hurt really, really bad for the first time ever. And I was trying to find so many excuses to quit. It was a big battle um, on do I quit or do I not quit. And then immediately those two popped in my mind. My, my mom and her chemo and Penelope should be crawling around and stuff right now, but she can't move from shoulders down because she's in a giant cast. Can't itch her leg, can't move her leg, can't do anything. So I'm like, who am I to complain about a little bit of heat and a little bit of tired legs when I've got my mom taking herself, well, she wasn't taking herself, but getting to her chemo appointments. I think at that time it was twice a week, once a week, going through cancer. And Penelope, a sweet little seven-month-old at the time, almost eight-month-old, wrapped up in a giant cast in the same exact heat. I guess I can't afford to bitch right now because they're going through that, and I'm not. And so using that to think to myself, I guess it's not so bad right now. Um, is what absolutely got me through the last 13 miles. I felt bad. My buddy with me, he was just as hot and he was pulling a cooler full of Gatorade ice and a bunch of snacks. It wasn't light. It wasn't an easy day for him. So the last 13 miles were pretty quiet. Um, but we did it. We got through it. I finished in 11 hours and 13 minutes. And as soon as I crossed that finish line, we bonged a beer together. They made a big finish line for us to run through. They had a, a double, a two-person bong ready for us. We got our beer done, and then they had the lake was gone at this point. So they had a kiddie pool set up on the back deck with a, like a hose mister set up behind it. And him and I sat in a kiddie pool together for what must have been an hour. And I had cold McDoubles that I had packed to eat that I was just crushing them. I must have crushed four McDoubles sitting in that pool, just cold. Uh, and in that moment, I thought, good. I did it. Great. I'm done. I don't ever want to do this again. I said I was going to do it, and I did it. Immediately, like four days later, I don't even think Stockholm Syndrome is the right word to describe it, but like I felt so empty now that it was done. Like There was this big thing I had been getting up at 4 a.m. every day for, been gone on the weekends doing all these long runs. I'd committed so much time, and now it was just done. And it made me really, really sad. Um, but I didn't know at the time. I didn't know that it was sad. I was just kind of angry even that it, I didn't, what do I do? So after about a month, I uh, messaged a great friend um, who I didn't know super, super awesome at the time, uh, Matt Frazier, who I had been picking his brain while I was training for that run. And I'm, he's a big time ultra runner, really the only one I know at the time who's like really into it. And I messaged him and I'm like, I need more of this. Like, I don't know what to do though, but I need, I need to do more of this. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go get dinner and some drinks. We'll talk about it. So we sat down, we talked about it. And from there, I just kind of kept going. Um, next for me was um, Ode to Laz Backyard Ultra, which for those of you who don't know, 
The Backyard Ultra is a 4.167 mile loop. You have one hour to complete it. You complete it in under an hour. You hang out, you eat some snacks, you rehydrate, you take a snooze if you can, you go to the bathroom. But at the top of that next hour, you have to be at the starting line and you go and you do it again and again and again and again till there's one, till you can't anymore. And then the last person left standing wins. So it's an indefinite race. It goes forever until there's one person left. And I thought, how cool. That sounds like something I can do. Four miles in an hour. A little bit of that, that old arrogance. I don't need to train to run shining through. And I'm like, oh, four miles in an hour is cake. These people don't know what they're in for type of thing. Not that extreme because I knew at that point already that I know what I don't know. But I was excited for it. I was ready to go. I remember telling my mom about it not long after. Like, hey, there's this race in July. It's in Holly. I need people to come help me, crew me. And my mom was super into my running. She's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, yeah, we'll have a great time doing it. Uh, and then like, a, it was less than a month after that, she passed uh, in December. And that was in July. So then, you know, I'm just kind of angry at a lot of things after that happens. So I trained really hard that winter, probably the hardest I've ever trained in a winter. Um, but I trained too hard and I got injured about maybe three, four weeks before that race. And I wasn't able to run it. Um, but I still went to it and volunteered and started meeting these people and they were fantastic. Actually about two or three months before the race, maybe a little more, I started to do some research on it. And this was the third year the race was going to be going on. And the first two years, uh, the same person had won it. Her name was Sarah Moore. And I'm like, first off, that's awesome that someone went back to back. Like they know what the hell they're doing. Second off, the fact that it was a woman going back to back was even cooler because it, it just highlights that like this type of race format. If you show up and you dig your feet in and you want to win, you can, you can win. Uh, it's not like a speed thing where just the fastest person wins. She showed up two years in a row and was the toughest motherfucker out there and got the job done. So I immediately reached out to her. Hey, blah, 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 blah. If you don't mind, I'd like to just pick your brain. And me, a complete stranger, she answered all of my questions. So then I go to the race, I meet everyone, and everyone's just as cool as her. It was awesome. I tr got better, trained, and I did a race that following winter, 2021. I did the Arctic Frog 50-miler over in Wisconsin, and that was the first one to make me cry. Um, I It was a Five mile, yeah, five mile loop that you do 10 times. It's 5.2 mile loop. So we actually ran 52 miles that day. But the elevation there was wild. I don't remember how much elevation each loop had, but it was so much. And I remember starting and you kind of run along this golf course and then over into a neighborhood. And, I, and you're with a lot of people at the beginning of the race. And I'm talking with them and they're all local. And they're all mentioning how flat the course is. And I chimed in, I'm like, listen, just driving into town last night, I don't think this area is flat. What do you mean this course is flat? And they're like, no, it's flat. It's not flat. People not from Mich mid-Michigan don't know what flat is. It was so hilly. And the back, probably about a mile and a half to go, Tucker Street, I'll never forget it. It looks like the hill that the Tanners live on in Full House. It's just up and up and up. And then it kind of plateaus for a second and then more up and up and up. And the first six laps were hard, but fine. The last three were brutal. And I remember on lap nine, 
getting to the bottom of it, and you have to go up a hill to get to that hill. So I get to the top of that first hill, and I walk over to the big one, and I just look at it. It's so far to go. At this point in the race, I think I'm in second. I was in third, come to find out, but I think I'm in second, and I think I'm gaining on first. So I gotta keep going. I can't slow down. And I look up at that hill, and I just start bawling and f-bombing. It's—I just knew what was in front of me, pain-wise. And we got up the hill, obviously, got the race done in eight hours eleven minutes. So I dropped three hours off of my fifty-mile time, which was awesome. And that was the first time I learned, wow, you can see something right in front of you that you know is going to be painful, that you know is going to crush you, and you can still just get up the hill. And that was really cool. So after that, that was in December, January, I had Ode to Snow race. And Ode to Snow is a backyard, like the one in July in Holly that I had to miss, but it's only eight hours of that. Um... It's just a fun race. Everyone has a blast there. But it was going to be my first time running on that course um, since having told my mom I was going to go run on that course and win the race. So I felt a lot of, not pressure, but I really wanted to go out and just win the race if I can and just absolutely leave it all out there. Um, just because that was the last race she ever knew of me doing. Well, last race in that area. Um so I did. I went out and I, I ran great that day. Everything went well for me. Um, at the time, I set the course record. I don't think it still is anymore. Um, but it was just an awesome day. And again, I got to really meet these people that I had met back in July when I was volunteering. So those relationships started forming and it just gave me a whole new... I mean, I've got a group chat going with those people now that's almost has me, I know it does. It has me laughing harder than my group chat I have with my boys. Like it's, they're just awesome people. So after that came Tridge to Bridge, um, which taught me insane amount. Um, I'm not going to touch too much on that right now because there'll be more episodes for that. But Tridge to Bridge was a 240 mile race. Um, they just absolutely crushed. In between there actually, yeah, in between those two races, I did perfect PR backyard, so an actual backyard style, and I made it 24 hours, which is exactly 100 miles. So at that, going into Tridge to Bridge, I had just done a 100 miler. That's right, um, which was fun, really fun. A lot of you can keep going even when you don't think you can keep going. Lessons learned there. Um, and then Tridge to Bridge, and nothing really happened. After Tridge to Bridge, I had done those three races that year. Ode to Snow, Perfect PR, Tridge to Bridge, and I was pretty mentally exhausted, and I wanted a break. My body was fine. I took, I think, two weeks off after Tridge to Bridge before I was running, running again, but I just needed a mental break from it. Like, it was just a lot. But I took too big of a break. Uh, got decently out of shape, but I finally got to run Ode to Laz the following summer, 2023, and it didn't go great. I failed pretty hard there. Um, a big failure, probably my first big failure. And I think it was mainly because I just made a simple mistake. Um, the longer I've had to think about it, I had to go to the bathroom really bad at the end of one loop, but I was worried I would miss too much time in between loops and not be at the starting line when I needed to be. 
So instead, right when the lap started, I went to the bathroom. And if you know me, and I'm sure this will come up in a later uh, discussion, but my after bathroom care routine when I run is pretty extensive because I've gotten injured uh, pretty bad from not having an extensive one. So going to the bathroom takes me a long time just for what I do after I'm done going to the bathroom. And so by the time I started this loop, I had already killed like 10 minutes, which scared me because uh, that's my rest time is that 10 minutes I just used. So I wanted to make up for that. And I'd been running like 11 to 13 minute miles, including my walk breaks. And I crushed like three, eight and a half minute miles in a row, which just depleted me like crazy. And so I think I lasted two more laps after that and I was done and I failed. That's okay. So that was in July and I haven't raced since. I'm planning to do the Thumb Coast Ultra 50 miler. That's in April. And after that, I'll be doing Trich to Bridge again this year in July. Um, I didn't do it last year. I thought I wouldn't miss it, but I really, really miss it. And that's kind of what I want to touch on next. It's kind of my two, a few rather, biggest lessons that I've learned from running so far. And, I mean, the first one, which is just the point of all of this, right, is just that you can do really hard things. Uh, no matter who you are, um, no matter what your circumstance. Like I said, I'm I'm not special when it comes to this. I'm as average and non-special and non, oh, look where he came from as it gets, and I can still find awesome things in this. Like, you don't, if you have something you've gone through or going through that's really, really hard, there's plenty of examples of look what you can do from that. But even if you're not and you're just, my life's fine, I wake up, I go to work, I enjoy my family, like, what am I going to gain from this? I don't feel like I need to overcome something crazy. You still learn so much. And a lot of that comes from Tridge to Bridge, uh, in my experience, that I've learned anyways. Um, so lesson number one, you can do hard things. But lesson number two, Tridge to Bridge, it was, was it the last day? It was the last day for me going from Roger City to Sheboygan is a 40-mile stretch, and then you have 17 more miles to Mackinac. And leaving Rogers City, I was running with a, uh, a good friend named Tim at the time. Tim and I actually ran the majority of the race together. And we left Rogers City. We woke up at midnight. I think we were out the door by 1. And um, it was tough. I remember that day being tough. Between Rogers City and Sheboygan, there's nothing at all. So you have to leave Rogers City with whatever food, water, whatever that you're going to need for 40 miles, which is tough to kind of calculate how long is 40 miles going to take me because if you're, if I'm in good shape at the time and I'm going to go out and run 40 miles, I'll probably plan on, I don't know, let's say five and a half, six hours, six and a half hours even. I don't know. But either way, at that point in the race, I don't know how long 40 miles is going to take me. Probably closer to 13, 14 hours, so double the time. So I don't really know what to bring. So I brought a lot. I took anything out of my bag that I wasn't going to need for the last day um, or could suffer without. And I loaded it up with Gatorades and just high calorie candy bars and stuff. Just anything that I can pack the most calories in this bag and liquid. So I had, I think, three or two Gatorades in my bag. My two front holsters were Gatorade and a water. 
and then I carried two Gatorades. So this is so much weight, and we're just walking. It's pitch black, and I had oh, I almost had a breakdown about three hours into this day that Tim rescued me from. Then I almost had another breakdown when the sun was coming up, but we bumped into another runner out there, Sean, and that kind of brought my spirits up. And the three of us kind of walked together for a while until I just I did. I I just need I just need a break, guys. And so they kept going, and there was a little bench along the road by the beach, and the water was glass. And I just sat there and ate breakfast and enjoyed the water and the sunrise. And it was super incredible. It recharged me. Enjoyed the little things. And I got going again. And I caught up to Sean and Tim again. And we kept running, walking, running, walking. And I just couldn't walk anymore. I needed, I just needed to go. It was, the, the, the amount of time now was starting to get to me, and I just needed to be done with this thing. And the only way to be done with this thing is to get done with it. And so I had my last Gatorade with me. And I was like, guys, I got to go. Now, this race is self-supported. No one can help you. However, there's things called road angels where people will leave a cooler on the side of the road, for example. And it's, it's accessible to all runners. And they kind of make a post about it on the Facebook group. And someone made a post that there was one at what would be my 27th mile marker for the day. We're at the 23 mile marker for the day right now. So I was like, you know what? And it's getting hot at this point. It's like 80-ish. Like, you know what? I'm just going to give it hell. I'm going to get to that cooler. I'm going to suck down a few Gatorades, pack another one, and finish up the last 13 or so miles. So I ran. I ran really hard. I, uh, I tried to not run fast or hard because you don't want to sweat, right? That's the idea. You don't want to expend too much in that heat when you have limited resources. But I poured it all into that. I was pouring sweat. Like I was going for it. Get to the 27th mile marker spent. I've been out of liquid for like two miles now. I have nothing left, and there's no cooler. I freak out. I go to the next guardrail. There's still no cooler. I'm really panicking. I go to look back, and I map everything together on where this cooler should be. And somewhere in my exhausted brain, I way miscalculated on where this cooler is supposed to be. I was at mile 23 for the day. When I looked at where this cooler was supposed to be, and I said mile 27, it was at mile 24. So I was way past this cooler. There's no chance in hell I'm turning around at this point. But I'm 13 miles from Sheboygan, and there's no more Road Angel coolers from here on out. So I start panicking, and out of nowhere, this lady comes at me on a bike. And on the back of her bike, she just has bags, which have to be full of stuff, right? She pulls over and starts small talking me, which is great. That's part of the adventure is to meet people. But at this point, I'm panicked. I am panicked. And she kind of sees it on my face. She's like, are you okay? No. And I tell her what's going on. And her face lights up. And she's like, oh, well. And she looks at the back of her bike. And I start to get a glimmer of hope. And she says, never mind. And she rides away. That broke me. I'm like, this lady had something for me. I know she did. And she just didn't want to give it to me. So I made the decision there that the next person I saw, the very next human I saw out in their yard, pulled over in their car, I'm going to ask if they have anything to drink. I have to. It was two miles of forcing myself to walk jog before finally, on my side of the road, there's a row of pine trees in this front yard that are cut up four or five feet. And in the backyard, underneath the pine trees, I see a set of feet walking. Thank God. There's somebody. So I start to round into the driveway. I can't see the person at this point anymore. The tree's in the way. 
but all of a sudden I hear, and this guy just starts pumping off his gun. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. It's not a great looking area either, but I need water. I need water. So I turn the corner and there he is with a shotgun shooting who knows what off in the woods. And I'm like, I don't know how to approach this guy without scaring him. He's got a gun. I need water. So I kind of, you know, shuffled my feet or coughed or whatever that slightly got his attention. And I stayed way back. And he turns around and I just, hey, I really need water. I'm out on a 200-mile run right now and I need help. He looked at me like I'm crazy, rightfully so. And so I approached him and kind of rehashed the situation in a little more detail now that I knew he wasn't going to kill me, I think. Um, and he says, yeah, you can, you can have some water. And that was it. Creepily said it. And I was like, you didn't offer where to go. And I'm like, I, where's your spigot at? Like, I, I can just get it from there. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. You don't want this well water. It's bad. You, you want to come in my house. I really don't want to come in your house. And this guy was way too small of a wife beater, jean shorts cut above the knees. Big old boots on, like it was, it was, it was your country boy, and uh, I wasn't getting great vibes at all. He's like, no, no, you got to come to my house if you want water. Okay, so we start walking to the house, and he's got just this gnarliest looking dogs at the door, ready to go, barking, growling. He's like, let me go, let me go put them away. I'm like, it's fine, I like dogs. Like, I just need this water and get out of here, man. He goes, no, no, no. I'll go put them away. Okay, so he leaves me in the baking sun. Goes and puts his dogs away and opens the door, lets me back in. And this house was stripped down to the studs. Like it was just studs and insulation. Half some of this, like there wasn't even insulation in some of it. The floor was all OSB. There was a hole in part of the floor where you could see down into the uh, the crawl space. I'm judging this hardcore, right? And right in the middle of all that, though, is this water cooler um purifier like it was beautiful glowing blue so i go up and i just fill one of my flask and slam it and it felt so good and then i filled my two up holstered them up and i got ready to go thanks and we've been small talking oh where's the race what direction are you going oh i'm originally from detroit blah 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 blah, blah. and getting ready to go and he's like man drink another one take more with you i'm like no no it's fine it's fine it's like, no, I'm serious. Do it again. So I slammed another one, filled it back up. And I was on the way out. He walked me out. And he's like, hey, so there's six more of you out there? And I was like, yeah, but uh, I think at the time, four of them are ahead of me. So I think there's two behind me, let's say. He's like, well, hey, you let them know. Here's my address. They can stop by for some water. So I did. Uh, he was the nicest guy. He was super great, incredibly nice. His name was Robbie. So I messaged everybody that kind of the – Short version of that story. It's like, guys, you might be outside with a shotgun, but but Redneck Robbie will absolutely help you out. He will be there for you. If you need water, stop. Here's the address. Here's what the house looks like. Um, and that taught me a lot. That's definitely the don't judge the book by a cover, right? That is, I wouldn't go in that house in a million years. I wouldn't, I wouldn't looking at the guy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't approach him. He just didn't look approachable. Um, but here he is helping in a huge time of need. And he was there when he needed it. And he was approachable. And don't judge a book by its cover. Um, 
And I'm pretty, before then, I didn't have a big faith in people are good. I, I think people are pretty selfish, right? But Redneck Robbie and that trip in general, meeting people, people are good. People do want to help. People do want to be a part of something. And all you have to do is ask. And people will probably help you. And that's something I've carried with me since then. I've asked for help on runs after that. If I've had to go to the bathroom or if I'm out of water and I need something, I'll stop if I see someone in the garage and just ask. And you meet people. People love hearing about this stuff. And they'll talk to you in their garage for a little bit. They'll offer you beer on your run. They just, they want to hang out. They want to be a part of something. They want to help. I think everyone's just afraid to ask for help or afraid to offer help. But if you'll be that person that will approach another person and initiate it, I think we're all willing to, for the most part. Obviously, not everyone's a hero, but don't be afraid to ask for it. So I think that's all I've got for you for today. There's my story, how I got here what I've learned, a couple lessons so far. Obviously, we'll talk about more along the way. Uh, the next one, I will have someone who's, he's done a lot. He's done a lot, and he's come from a lot, um, gotten through a lot. So he is going to be a fun one. You don't want to miss it. Really appreciate you guys watching. Like, share it, that sort of thing. Thanks, guys.